This morning we're going to continue our study in the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible there, scripture reading is Matthew 9, starting in verse 18. And Maddie is going to do that scripture reading for us. And uh, when she says the word of the Lord, you can respond by thanking him, saying thanks be to God. Do I need to move to that mic? Oh, here I am. Hi. Uh, the scripture reading is from Matthew 9, 18 to 26. Hear the word of the Lord. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. And he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and he took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all the district. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray that God would help us understand his word. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. It is good. It is more precious than fine gold, even much more fine gold. It is sweeter than the honey on the honeycomb. And I pray that as we read it today that we would see how precious it is and how fine it is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a few years ago... Uh, Sherry woke up one morning. She wasn't feeling well. Uh, we had a softball tournament that morning. So uh, I took the kids to the softball tournament and Sherry said home. And throughout the day, she got worse and worse and worse and kept getting sicker and sicker and came home at the end of the day and she was still in bed. And uh, she had tried to tough it out as much as she could. Uh, but probably, I don't know, around like nine or so o'clock or something like that, she kind of waved the white flag and said, okay, this, is, <laughs> this isn't going to work. I need to go to the hospital. So we called her dad and he came over to watch the kids. So we went to the hospital uh, and we went to the waiting room and we checked in and we sat down and there was a, a waiting room filled with people. Uh, so we thought, oh, this could, this could take a little while. We might be here a little bit. So we sat and we sat and we sat and we sat and we sat there for about four hours and finally, she started to feel a little bit better. And she thought, you know, like, we've been here a long time. We may not get in for a while. I feel better. Maybe we should just go home. And I said, look, if we've already been here four hours, and we go home, we've got to start this whole process over again if you are actually sick. She said, okay, we'll stay. So we stayed a little. We, we, we stayed. And, and she got worse. And we were pretty sure that she had appendicitis. She had all the signs and symptoms of appendicitis. So we thought, you know what, that, you know, it, it, they can... We trust the doctors, we trust the nurses, they can come in, they can do surgery on her, take care of this, and then we'll be home soon. Well, we waited, and we waited, and waited. <laughs> and eventually, I think we waited about, oh, like six hours before she was triaged, and then eight hours before she actually got to go back and talk to the doctor and get the test run, and find out that, she, yes, she had appendicitis. And then I think it was about 12 hours by the time we actually like had the surgery and got home. And so... This, this fairly routine procedure going to the waiting room took us about 12 hours of waiting, suffering and waiting. And as bad as that was for us, there were people that were still there when we left that had been there the entire time we were there. They might still be there in the waiting room. I don't know. <laughs> 
But she suffered while we waited, and the waiting itself became part of the suffering. In our passage this morning, we read about two people who were suffering. They come to Jesus for healing. One of them has been waiting 12 years to be healed. The other one has to wait hours and go through an excruciating, painful process. And you see in this story that suffering is a big part of the problem, but also waiting is part of the suffering. They're playing a waiting game with Jesus. Well, in a world that's filled with sin and suffering, we still today find ourselves playing the waiting game with Jesus, don't we? How are you waiting for Jesus to bring healing in your life? What's the area? Is it with your family? Is it with your friends? Is it in your finances? Is it in your own health? These healings teach us that Jesus is our Savior, that he is the one who can bring healing. But it also teaches us a very tough lesson, and that is he is Lord of the timing. We can't just have Jesus as our Savior without having him also as our Lord of the timing of the healing that takes place in our lives. But the good news we see in this passage is that we can trust his healing because he is gentle and he is wise and he is powerful. So those are our three points this morning, that while we wait, we trust God's gentleness, we trust God's timing, and we trust God's power. Kids, you'll want to listen to a story from the Chronicles of Narnia. You always like those. If you're here this morning, and let's just say maybe you're skeptical, maybe it's your first time and you haven't been here and listened to us talk about these miracles, I understand it can be pretty challenging to read these stories about Jesus raising somebody from the dead and healing somebody who's been bleeding for 12 years. Well, let me give you this little piece of information that that might help you. Um, The early opponents of Jesus did not question the reality of his miracles. If you read the ancient writings from the the first few centuries after Jesus, none of them said these miracles didn't happen. People knew that it happened. It was well attested. What they said was, is that when Jesus and his family spent their time in Egypt, that Jesus learned black magic in Egypt. And then when he came back, he used his black magic to accomplish these healings. So they didn't say the miracles didn't happen. They just tried to discount how he did the miracles. Now we'll talk about how he did the miracles later. But but I want to just say to you is if you're here and you're saying these miracles didn't happen, that's really inconsistent with the evidence. And so what I want to invite you to do is here in the next 20 or 30 minutes is to just grant that maybe these miracles actually happened. And to ask yourself, what would it be like if I really trusted Jesus? to be my Lord and Savior? What if I really trusted his gentleness, his timing, and his power in my life? So let's look at those three three things together. While we wait, the first thing we do is we trust God's gentleness. 
And we see God's gentleness in, in, in the way Jesus ministers to these people. Now, as we've seen through Matthew, Matthew does not give us as many details as Mark and Luke on these stories. Matthew is much more concise in his telling of the story. So what I want to do is I want to bring in some details from Luke and Mark, the other gospel writers, that they include to help you see the gentleness of Jesus in this passage. So Jesus has a crowd gathering around him because he's becoming so famous when this man, Matthew calls him a ruler, his name is Jairus, that's what we learned from Luke and Mark. Jairus comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my daughter is dying or is dead. She's on her deathbed. Come and heal her. And so Jesus is so gentle and kind and gracious that he leaves this crowd that's following him and he says, I'm going to go heal this girl. Well, as he's walking through the crowd, this lady comes up and touches his cloak. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty impatient guy. And if I'm trying to get someplace, uh, you can make me very angry by slowing me down. And that's my fault, not yours. But if I was Jesus, I would have been really angry and impatient at this. Hey, don't you know? I've got to go heal somebody. I got things to do. I got places to go and people to see. But how does Jesus respond? He responds with gentleness. He stops. He talks to the lady. He draws her out. He says, who touched me? He knows who touched him. But what is he doing? He's drawing this lady out. And then instead of being angry and mad and condemning her and frustrated and impatient, he's gentle and he says, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. And then Jairus is there, and Jairus, of course, is nervous and anxious. He's like, hey, Jesus, my daughter's dying. Come on, let's go. And, and if I was Jesus, I would have been self-righteous and said, I'm God. Don't you know I've got to heal this woman? Toughen up, Jairus. What does Jesus say? He says, don't, don't fear. Trust me. I've got this. He's gentle with him. And then he, he shows up to the house. The girl is already dead. There are mourners who are there. They're professional mourners who are wailing. They're causing a commotion. What does Jesus do? He's gentle. He says, hey, you guys need to leave. She's not, a, she's not dead. She's asleep. And they laugh at him. He rushes him out. And he says, hey, look, we're going to limit this crowd. It's just going to be Peter, James, John, me, the mom, and the dad. He's so gentle. He, he comes into the room. And he, he doesn't pour cold water on her. He doesn't shake her. He takes her by the hand. And Mark says, he says, Talitha kum, which means little girl, wake up. Like a gentle, kind father waking his daughter up on a Sunday, Sunday morning to get her ready for church. The gentleness of Jesus the gentleness of Jesus. He's so gentle. Every step of the way, he, re he rejects power and prestige in favor of gentleness and compassion. When you are waiting for Jesus, what is his tone like? How do you imagine him? Is he angry and frustrated and mad? Is he like a pirate hopped up on double shot coffee? Is he like a coach? Come on, toughen up. 
rub some dirt on it. Get out there. Let's go. Or is he gentle and kind? I think this passage shows us that that Jesus' voice, whatever he said to you, whatever he says to you in this moment, is a gentle voice. It's a kind voice. It's a voice saying, trust me. I know you're afraid. I know you're anxious. I know you're hurting. Trust me. I've got this. And it's his gentleness that reminds us that whatever's happening, you may not understand it, but, you, but, but whatever he's doing, it can't be because he's angry at you. It can't be because he's punishing you. It can't be that he is aloof and uncaring. It can't be that he's cruel and unkind. You may not know what Jesus is doing right now, but you know that whatever he's doing, he's doing it with gentleness. Why? Why is he doing it with gentleness? I think it's because when he sees the suffering in this world, he hurts too. Uh, There's a story in the Chronicles of Narnia, in in the first book, The Magician's Nephew, about a little boy named Diggory, whose mother is sick and dying. And, And Diggory comes Uh, in contact with Aslan. Aslan is the lion figure, the Jesus figure in the story. And he's talking to the lion about his mother dying. He says, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure my mother? And then he looks up, because he'd been looking at the lion's feet. That's probably what you do when you come in contact with a lion. He looks up, and he looks at the face of the lion. And what does he see? He sees tears. Tears that are bigger than his own. And he realized that, the, the, that Aslan must have been sorrier about his mother than he was. I think Jesus is gentle with us while we wait because he's sorrier about the suffering in this world than we are. And he's entering, he's entering into that suffering with us in his gentleness. So while we wait, we trust him. We trust him because he's gentle. And that helps us trust his timing. That's the second thing we see in this passage. While we write, we trust the timing of Jesus. Now, I'm not an emergency room doctor, but I have friends who are, and uh, maybe some of you know an emergency room doctor, maybe you've been to the emergency room. Um, but <laughs> they, they treat patients based on urgency. The most urgent, life-threatening sickness gets attention first, right? So in this passage... What need is the most urgent? It's Jairus' daughter. She's dying. She's on her deathbed. So a good ER doctor is going to set his face like flint and go straight to that house and heal that little girl. But what does Jesus do? He stops and talks to the sick woman who's been bleeding. She's got a chronic illness. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She spent all her money trying to get better, but she's only got worse. But Jesus, instead of going to heal the sick girl first, he stops and talks to this woman and heals her. Now, if you were Jairus, what would you be feeling at this moment? You'd be fearful. You'd be anxious. You'd be nail-biting. You're you're tapping your foot. Come on. Come on, Jesus. Let's go. What are you doing? My daughter's dying. Come and heal her. Why are you waiting? Come on. Right? Just like Sherry and I in that... Uh, operating room, not, not operating, the, the emergency room, right? Like, it's not super urgent, but she's in pain. 
she's hurting and I'm going, come on. Like, I, you know, the people are coming in and they're, they're clearly, or it looks like they're less sick than she is and they take him back and they work on him. Why can't they work on her? This, what Jesus does here is medical malpractice. He should be fired for this, right? <laughs> but he looks at Jairus and he says, don't fear, just believe. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. <laughs> he knew he was going to show up to that house and she was going to be dead and that he was going to heal her. He wants Jairus to trust his timing. And we look throughout the Bible, we see good reason to trust God's timing. He's the, God is the Lord of the universe. He created the heavens and the earth and everything that are in them. And he, he orchestrated all of human history so that Jesus' life would come here on earth at just the perfect time for him to be our savior. And Jesus' death and resurrection took place in just the perfect time in world history so that the gospel could go out to all the nations. And Jesus' timing was, was perfect here. He knew exactly what he was doing. If we can trust God with the history of the world, and if we can trust Jesus with the timing of this healing, then we can trust him in our waiting. We can trust him as we wait for our family members to be healed or to go and be with Jesus. We can trust him as we're making medical decisions about our kids who need urgent care. We can trust him with our jobs. We can trust him with our court case. We can trust him with our singleness. We can trust him with our spouse. We can even trust him with the timing of how he's going to heal us from our sins. After all, who are we to impose our timing on Jesus? Right? Uh, a few years ago, um, my daughter Frances was in a trampoline accident. Don't judge me, okay? Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged. She was, she was in a trampoline accident. She broke her femur in that accident. Yeah, big break. So we take her to the hospital in Stillwater. They, they give her some, uh, some painkillers. They, they uh, x-ray her leg. They confirm it's broken. And I'm thinking in my mind, okay, great. Let's set this bone. Let's cast it up. Let's get her healed as soon as possible. What do they tell me? Okay, now we're going to send you to Oklahoma City to children's because that's where the orthopedic surgeon is that needs to see your daughter's femur so he can fix this. Now, imagine that I go in there, I say, hey, wait a minute. L listen, guys, you've really got this all wrong. Surely you've got some paper mache back there in the back that you guys can whip together a cast real quick and, and put it on her. And surely you've got somebody who knows how to reset this bone that can take care of it. I really think that your timing is off here. We, this is going to take us hours to drive to Oklahoma City. We're going to stay that in the hospital. It's going to take them hours to admit her, to cast it, to set it, to cast it, then hours to come back. I, I don't really like your timing. Now, I know the medical community is not infallible, but who would I be to walk in there and impose my timing on them and start telling them the best way to care for my daughter with her broken femur? If that's true, then who are we to go to the Lord of the universe and impose our timing on him? 
And if he is infallible, if he is the Lord of space, time, and dimension, then how self-righteous and foolish do we look by going to him saying, you have to do this now on my timeline, on my schedule, on my way. That's, that's not how Jesus works. And that's not how we want him to work. We need to trust his timing. We need to trust his healing. Maybe, just maybe, he knows something that we don't know. Uh, my friends uh, found this out. Uh, they uh, had a baby much earlier than they expected. That happens sometimes. You know, they had their, their three-year, five-year, ten-year life plan. That They were carrying it out. They had all their ducks in a row, and then they got pregnant. And that threw all that off. And so they were frustrated. And they're like, why, Lord? Why are we pregnant now? Why are we having this? We want babies, but we don't want these babies now, right? Well, not long after they had their child, the wife started experiencing health problems. And so they went to the doctor and they started checking on these health problems. And what they learned was that the wife actually had an autoimmune disease that was brought exacerbated by the pregnancy, and it was because of the pregnancy that they found out about the autoimmune disease. They got her the treatment that she needed so then she could begin the healing process. You think maybe, just maybe, God knew something about the timing of that baby that they didn't know? I don't know what you're waiting on. But maybe, just maybe, that the Lord of the universe knows something that you don't know and that you can trust him. We can trust his gentleness, we can trust his timing, and we can trust his power. We see his power in the healing of this woman, right? She's been bleeding for 12 years. She's seen doctors, she's spent money, and all that happens is she gets worse and worse and worse. And her life would have gotten worse and worse. If you were a, a woman in the ancient Near East, you were already socially disadvantaged. You were already an outcast. You were already you know, near the bottom of the social ladder. And she's bleeding. That means she can't go to the temple and worship. That means anybody who would have came in contact with her would have been unclean. So her friends and her family members would have stayed away from her. Her religious community would have stayed away from her. She probably would have been poor already, and then even poorer because she spent her money trying to get well. And none of it helped. She comes to Jesus with this weak, superstitious faith. She won't even talk to Jesus. Jairus bows down and talks to him. She comes up, and what does she do? She touches his garment. She doesn't even touch him. She just touches his garment, and she's healed instantly. That's how powerful Jesus is, that he can heal you any way he wants, whenever he wants how he wants. He can even heal you with weak faith. If you're out there going, Lord, all I've got is a mustard seed, less than a mustard seed. I've got just, just faith so small that you can't even see it. That's all Jesus needs because it's not the strength of your faith that heals you. It's the object of your faith. It's the strength of Jesus that heals you, not the strength of your faith. So we see Jesus' power in the healing of this woman, and we see Jesus' power in the healing of Jairus' daughter. 
He comes the opposite, right? He comes boldly. He comes, he, he has a request. He comes humbly. He bows before Jesus. I, I think the reason why, uh, you know, maybe the reason why Matthew tells us is that he's a ruler is Matthew wants to highlight how this ruler, this man of power, comes and humbles himself before Jesus. He asks this this all-powerful Lord to heal his daughter who's dying. She doesn't just die, she's dead. She's completely dead. So dead that they bring in professional mourners to mourn. And But all it takes is for Jesus to say a word, and he raises her from the dead. And if you've been following us in Matthew, you'll see the connection here. What what has Jesus done so far? He stopped a storm with a word. He cleansed a leper with a word. He casts out demons with a word. He forgives a paralytic with a word. And now he raises a girl from the dead with a word. That's how powerful he is. He is the Lord God Almighty. And it's this word that points us to an even greater demonstration of his power, and that's the resurrection. This word, arise, points us to the resurrection of Jesus. That one day, Jesus would die. One day, Jesus would be on the cross, and he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he would not hear a word. And God would not come on time. And Jesus would die. But three days later, he would rise from the grave, victorious, defeating Satan's sin and death. And then 40 days later, he would rise and go to heaven, where he sits and he rules and reigns in power over all things. If God's gentleness and his timing and his power are so good that he could give his only son for you and that he could raise his son from the dead for you and that that power is ruling and reigning in heaven, then we can trust his power with anything in our lives. We can trust him. He is powerful enough to heal anything spiritual, physical, mental, relational, He is powerful enough to do it, and he is good enough to do it. We can trust him. We can trust him. He's the perfect doctor. I've heard uh, nurses say before that, you know, doctors are not perfect. People are not perfect. And so sometimes you can get a doctor who's got great bedside manner, but maybe he's not as strong on research and practice. And sometimes you can get a doctor who's strong on research and practice and knowledge, but he doesn't have good bedside manner. With Jesus, you get all those things in one. He's got the best bedside manner. He's got the best wisdom. and He's got the best power to heal you from whatever you're suffering from. And when you are in it, and when you're awaiting, and when life has hit you with something that you cannot understand and you cannot get through, it is his power, his timing, and his wisdom that you need. Uh, a friend of mine found this out a few years ago. Uh, his brother was in a car accident, and he waited for, for hours to be rescued. But the rescuers came too late, and he passed away. So my friend was obviously wrecked. He's, he's, 
He's hurt. He's destroyed. Jesus, where were you? Why were you late? Why didn't you get those, those rescue workers there earlier to rescue my brother? He could have survived, but you didn't do it. Why? My friend's a, a, a pastor, and so he had the privilege of, of going and preaching the funeral. And so he went to the funeral, and he preached the gospel at the funeral, and he preached the power of the resurrection at the funeral. And after he preached, two men came up to him, and they said, your brother has been begging me to come to church for years. And I always told him no. This morning, after hearing you preach the gospel that he believed in, I want to give my life to Christ. And they both became Christians there at that funeral. Was God late? No, he was right on time. And it was his timing and his gentleness and his power that helped my friend get through those dark days. And it's his gentleness and his timing and his power that will help you as you wait. What are you waiting for? Go to Jesus. Ask him to heal you. Ask him to rescue you. There is no matter that's too small. There's no pain that's too small. There's no sin that's too serious. There's nothing from which he cannot save you. In his way, in his timing, in his power. So let's go to him and let's pray for that this morning. Please pray with me.